is the main event. What you gonna do? If you're so mad, best there is, best there was, best there ever will be. Woo! Yeah! Who is? I am the game. Costoco said so. Oh my god! What I'd like to have right now. Rest in peace. Be the man! You gotta beat the man! Are you ready? Everyone has a price! Yeah, I've come here to fight! Standing ovation here! Let's go to our ring announcer! Introducing your old school pro wrestling nostalgia podcast, Beyond the Bell! Welcome back, world-class fanatics, to the Pro Wrestling Nostalgia Podcast, Beyond the Bell, here exclusively on the SNS Radio Network. I'm your old-school host, Sean Beckerman, back with you to bring you all things retro and wrestling. I am psyched to present the final installment of the world-class milestones of world-class championship wrestling this was a different series as your prototypical 101 editions as we covered wcw and we're finishing up ecw with wccw we decided to not go necessarily in historic order in a sense we did but it wasn't like our typical classroom chapter by chapter um step-by-step history of the organization this was a little different take this took you back to the memories the milestones that the organization achieved from from its inception years prior all the way till now to the downfall and the end of wccw so tonight we're looking back at the years 1988 and 1989 and the specific moments that took place when within these two years that made the company memorable as well as moments that led to the downfall of the texas-based group you're going to hear a lot of audio on tonight's show as we have some great memories but a lot of audio remembering this time as well we're going to take you back to a specific time during a current affair it was a tv program that was i believe on fox television uh you can correct me if i'm wrong on that one but i believe it was on fox i would tune into it occasionally here and there when they would pull you in from their commercials their one-liner so to speak or their main headlines for the upcoming program but it was a popular show at the time and they had a special on the Atkinson family the Von Erichs and WCCW we'll be playing a clip from that this evening not to mention the triumph and tragedy of world class is documented in historic points on this broadcast we talk about the death of bruiser brody you'll hear from three former legends and superstars manny fernandez tony atlas and superstar billy graham on their thoughts of bruiser brody and what happened that fateful evening in which he lost his life a key member to wccw and will archive his passing on this edition also what the events and the 
bookings and storylines that led up to the end of the company leading into the USWA taking over with Jerry and Jeff Jarrett. Michael Hayes returns to fight the Freebirds. And we talk about Fritz selling the company to his sons as he loses the great passion he had before for the company. We cover all this and more on this special edition, the final years of world-class championship wrestling. And after the break, we kick off the year 1988 in the history of world-class championship wrestling. I will see you right after this quick timeout. Hey guys, it's me, Mr. Money on the Mic, Jeff Jackson. Are you looking for the latest wrestling news? Well, then you should check out www.wrestling-online.com. Sign up for the newsletter. It's been around for 16 years. It's one of the longest running newsletters on the internet today. Comes right to your inbox three to four times a week, depending on how busy the news week is. Want that access on your phone? They also have mobile apps for your iOS, Apple, and BlackBerry. The archives of all the unplugged shows, as well as columns. You can also follow WrestlingOnline.com on Twitter, at WrestlingOnline. Or check them out on Facebook, www.facebook slash WrestlingOnline. It's that simple. Wrestling-Online.com is the official news source of the SNS Radio Network. And perhaps you should make it your official news source as well. Once again, that's www.wrestling-online.com. ready for takeoff as we are headed to the land of the extreme whether you never experienced it or miss the old school days sean beckerman and beyond the bell takes you back in time to relive the history of extreme championship wrestling with the ecw 101 series go back in time chapter by chapter year by year and relive the extreme promotion from its very beginning and Eastern Championship Wrestling to the downfall and their national exposure on TNN. Relive the hardcore history of extreme championship wrestling now on btbcast.com. Get ready to go extreme on Beyond the Bell. Here she comes again, my good medicine. Every step she takes, my blood is flowing. Her legs go on and on for days. What's up, all you stars and stars? This is Maria, and you are listening to the SNS Network.
Well, I lived in Hawaii for about um, a year and a half when I first started, and I, that's where I was going to live, you know, all along. I got out of WTBS in Atlanta and went straight to Hawaii from there. Worked for Lars Anderson with Ricky Martel and uh, Steve Ricord, and uh, that's really why I started going barefoot. To tell the truth, it's not that I—I I, I did forget my boots one night and. You know, I'm never going to put them back on, but uh, the, in Hawaii, you know, I, I loved it over there because I never had to put my shoes on. You can go barefoot everywhere there. And so uh, that was just right up my trot, my style. 50,000 fans standing and roaring. Claire doesn't know what happened to it. There were some... Uh controversial rumors about what kind of shape Kerry was actually in for that match but it was a very emotional time but not just for us backstage but for the audience for the fans I'll tell you something else about that and, and certainly you're on the money on the 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 uh, emotional attachment you know we talk about every great superstar in our business has been able to make it uh, create the emotional investment to the fan and the Von Erichs that family had made an amazing emotional investment to that Metroplex because the fans on a weekly basis had seen little Joe and Hoss and Adam, the Cartwrights, grow up before their very eyes. And then David, un with untimely death in Japan, passes away. Another facet of that whole uh, dichotomy of that event was a lot of wrestling fans had never been inside Texas Stadium. Right. So here you got this iconic sports palace at the time with a hole in the roof that the Cowboy fans swear the hole's there so God can watch his team play, <laughs> right? So a lot of wrestling fans had never been inside Texas Stadium. So now you add the fact we can go to the stadium. We don't have to be a season ticket holder of the Cowboys because there are no tickets. Uh, we can pay homage to the Von Erich family who come into our homes every week. It's a memorial. Exactly. So I think there's a lot of uh, unique facets that made that event successful, plus the way it was, the storylines were booked. Right. Everything crescendoed there, and Kerry looking to gain, become famous, and finally win the NWA title for the Von Erich family, something that not one member had been able to do. Kerry was able to do that and beat Ric Flair. It was story about, on a personal note, with all that going on, that's when we debuted the Bad Street video. And I ended up, it debuted on that show, but I ended up having the video debut party for a bunch of rock and roll people in. So it was a double whammy for me. But it was a very emotional and a good emotional day and night. will kick off the world-class milestones 1988 and 1989 in WCCW history by looking back at the Michael Hayes concert fiasco, all starting in 1988. In early of the year, Freebird Michael Hayes returned to the world-class promotion. This time, though, his sights were set not on joining his brothers, Terry Gordy and Buddy Roberts, in their legendary feud with the Von Erichs, but rather to promote his music career, a fact that infuriated both Gordy and Roberts, who along with Iceman King Parsons threatened to storm the stage and ruin the concert if need be. 
Nonetheless, Hayes staged a legitimate rock concert at the Dallas Sportatorium with local Dallas DJ Kid Craddock and his group of oh, and his group opening the concert. Hayes performed Bad Street USA, The Boys Are Back in Town, and other songs off of his hit album. <laughs> hit, I'm using in quotes, off of his album, Off the Streets. Before much of the delight and surprise of those attending the show, he welcomed former rivals Carrie and Kevin Von Eric to the stage, told them to come on board and join their rival. P.S. This act by Hayes infuriated it, it pissed off Gordy Roberts and Parsons, who at the time were the latest incarnation of the Freebirds and had been violently feuding with the Von Erics. So the trio stormed the stage, attacking Kevin and Kerry, and ruining, so to speak, Hayes' concert. This infuriated Michael P.S. Hayes, of course. This resulted in Hayes doing the unimaginable, siding with the Von Erics in the war against the Birds. Hayes would eventually meet up with Gordy at the 1988 Parade of Champions in a three-way I'm sorry, in a three-tiered steel cage match. Uh, it's a match concept that NWA booker Kevin Sullivan claimed Hayes stole from him when both worked for Jim Crockett Promotions. But they actually saw, in this match, it saw Gordy save Hayes from having his hair cut by Roberts and Parsons. Such twists and turns in the storyline. Gordy left WCCW to tour Japan shortly afterwards, while Hayes and Roberts continued their feud recruiting the likes of Steve Cox, former UWF alumni and protege of Dr. Dusty Williams. They also had the recruitment and had their recruitment efforts taken out for the Samoan SWAT team to their respective sides during their, basically during the remainder of their stay in world class. But the music concert of Michael Hayes will go down as one of the more memorable moments in WCCW history. Like I mentioned during the behind the music editions, Michael was one of the founding fathers to music and professional wrestling. And the concert was an example. And who could have ever imagined Michael P.S. Hayes battling the Freebirds, siding with the Von Erics. And this all happened early on in 1988. The fans in the Sportatorium make lots of noise for the arrival of this man, fabulous Freebird Michael Hayes, the famous Michael Hayes. He told us that he was going to be here this week for a special announcement. And the music plays as he comes down the aisle and does the moonwalk in the ring. And as you can see, Michael Hayes has not changed a bit. Michael. Michael, if you would talk to us a little bit, you had told us that you were going to be here this week to make some comments about all of the wildness that has been going on between Gordy, the Iceman, Angel of Death, and Devon Erickson, and the other parties who've been involved. So, welcome to Dallas. Thank you, hello, Dallas! Did you miss me? You know, I made a statement, and the statement is, all my life I've never liked to owe anybody anything. I don't like owing any debts. I always like to be paid in full, if you know what I mean. Well, there's some people here that I owe something. And that people 
is you sitting out there right now. Well, that sounds interesting. Because the reason is, Mark, you know, we just completed our brand new album, Off the Streets. And the proper thing to do when you have an album out is go promote it with concert tours. Well, I figured that that album would have never taken place if it hadn't been with the people from Dallas and the Fort Worth Metroplex supporting Bad Streets USA. Sounds good. So anyway, the place that we've decided to kick off our United States tour, 1988, is going to be right here at the Sportatorium. And we are going to rock and sock this place down three weeks from tonight, March 4th, and I'm going to give you the baddest rock and roll scene this place has ever seen. And you know, it kind of warms my heart, Mark, to think of the people that have played here. Elvis Presley played here. Trini Lopez. I myself seen Willie Nelson singing this ring. Many times. It's going to be a great honor for me and my band to come right here and play in this ring. And that's really the statement that I had to make. Now, I'm sure that everybody has or wants to know how I feel about the Von Eric Freebird situation. Oh, absolutely. Please don't leave without addressing that. No, I'm not going to leave without addressing it, but I'll make it real short, real sweet, and real simple. As far as I'm concerned, I think the Freebird and Von Eric thing has been running the ground too long. Okay. I also think that there's plenty of room here for both the Freebirds and both the Von Erics without having to get in each other's way. Okay. So, consequently, I don't, there's been too much tragedy. Hey, hey, man, I thought you were gonna stop by the house first. The plane was late, the plane was late. The guy, you look great. He's going. Buddy Roberts, the Iceman, the Angel of Death, this Seems to be a cordial reunion, I think. I knew Michael Hayes would come back. The Freebirds are gaining in popularity all over Texas, and the Vinerks are on a dive slide. They're finished here in Texas, and Michael, with you here, you Vinerks don't have a chance. You came here to take care of business, wait, 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 and we're going to do it, Michael. Wait, buddy, 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 you, you, you must have not heard me when you were on your way down here. I'm not, I'm not coming back here to wrestle. I'm coming back here to sing. I'm not coming, man. I'm not going to get involved with this thing. There's been too much tragedy, and I don't want to be involved in any more of it. Okay? Listen, listen. Don't, 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 don't misunderstand me, man. I love you. You're my brother. I love Terry. I ha we've had great times, and we're going to have more good times. Okay? But him... Blackbird, Cuckoo Bird, whatever, I know you as Iceman. Now, if you and Terry, if you and Terry trust him, then I trust y'all's judgment, okay? Then that's fine. But now, but now this one here, I know him, and he's nothing but a no-good son of a Beep, beep. I don't know what to say, Michael. Well, what I got to say, buddy, as long as this guy's around, there's no way that I'm going to have anything to do professionally with you and Terry. Personally, we'll always be brothers, but not with that s around here.
Well, I think that message is perfectly clear from fabulous Freebird Michael Hayes. I'm not sure what the reaction is going to be from the Iceman and Buddy Roberts. The Angel of Death obviously is not going to like it, and Michael seems to be through with his business. Michael's still lobbying with Freebird Buddy Roberts as Michael leaves to the cheers of the crowd. Okay, I see now that Terry Gordy is on his way to the ring. Uh, here comes Terry Gordy. Evidently, we're not through yet. And Michael Hayes! Michael Hayes, could you come back to the ring a second? He's asking for you to come back, Michael. We have the house mic on and everyone can hear. I hope this is not going to be something unfortunate. Terry, you obviously heard what was said and saw what went on. Go ahead. You know, I'd just like to say this, Mike. You know, I don't care what you're gonna be doing. I don't care if you're gonna be singing. I don't care if you're gonna be wrestling. I don't care if you're gonna be playing hockey somewhere. I just want you to know that we're still behind you 100%. Uh, okay, that seems to be a pleasing announcement, but Michael again reiterates the fact that he wants no part of the angel of death well this little confrontation this little interview is going to be something that's going to be talked about a lot i have an idea all right we're back for our next exciting match featuring flamboyant eric Embry on world-class championship wrestling the lights go out and Carrie gets bloodied in the march of 1988 the dallas sportatorium WCCW world champion Kerry Von Erich defended the title against Iceman King Parsons. Parson, like we mentioned, who recently became a member of the Freebirds, had joined Terry Gordy, Buddy Roberts, and the Angel of Death in attacking Kerry's father, Fritz, on Christmas night in 87, which we mentioned on the last edition of the world, the world-class milestones of WCCW. This caused Fritz to collapse at ringside prior to Kerry's match with then-champion Al Perez. During this version of the ongoing Von Erich Freebird feud, the Von Erichs received an unexpected ally, the Freebird Michael P.S. Hayes, as we just mentioned. As the Kerry Parsons title match progressed, Parsons' fellow Freebird members made their presence known at ringside, just like the concert, which prompted Hayes to emerge from the dressing room to aid the now outnumbered Kerry. However, the arena suddenly went dark as Gordy motioned for the lights to be cut. When they were finally turned back on, no Freebirds were in sight, and Kerry was unconscious in the middle of the ring. A bloody mess. Parsons, capitalizing on the situation, covered Von Erich to capture the WCCW world title. Outraged, world-class television announcer Mark LaRance immediately pointed the finger of accusation directly at Michael Hayes as the culprit until it was discovered that Hayes too was unconscious in a pool of his own blood at ringside. After the lights out attack, WCCW viewers 
who were in attendance that night were asked on television to send in their flash photos to show what had really happened at the title match's conclusion. A great, great idea. Innovative. Even today in professional wrestling, granted, technology is a little different, but what a concept. It was interactive with the fans. However, the results of this inquiry were deemed inconclusive. The controversy stemming from this incident led to two key matchups at the 1988 Parade of Champions. The main event of the card would feature WCCW World Champion Parsons taking on Kerry in a rematch for the title, which Kerry won, and Hayes and Gordy facing off in the three-tier cage hype as the Triple Dome of Terror. The Triple Dome match ended with Hayes lying in the ring unconscious and fellow Freebirds Buddy Roberts and the Angel of Death goading Gordy to cut Michael's hair, as we alluded to just before. Gordy refused and was jumped by his teammates for his decision, all culminating for the lights out. And once again, Michael Hayes siding with the Von Erics this time now. Bam Bam, Terry Gordy siding with P.S., opposing the Freebirds. A lot of controversy as we head through 1988. I must admit that in front of this large and emotional crowd, I'm a little bit uncomfortable dealing with this foursome. Let's talk to Buddy Roberts first about this uncontrollable mess that you all have created and now you're involved in. You know, for a long time, we weren't feeling right going to the ring, just beating up on anybody. And finally, we came to the conclusion, we want to beat up the Buddy. That's why we came back here. And that's why that loudmouth Fritz Buddy got done to him what got done to him in the reunion arena and you are not the last buddy to be put out hey Kerry buddy and kevin buddy you better watch every corner because you are going to be next hey we're all looking real healthy now guys we're looking bigger than ever you know what the best christmas present i ever had was to beat up chris von eric when but one thing wrong Christmas night, people, I didn't get a chance to lay them other two rooted poots down beside you. Can you dig it? <laughs> well, you know, Iceman and my main man, Buddy Roberts, just about said it all. I'd just like to say this. You know, who does Fritz Bonnerick think he is? Who does he think he is? He think he's John Wayne or somebody, you know, stepping his old self up in the ring, man. He's too old to be messing with the real man right here. And this is not the movies, Fritz Monarch. And you're not John Wayne. And let me tell you something, as far as these Monarchs, I know the people in Texas are tired of seeing Monarchs, and we're tired of seeing Monarchs, and we're going to do something about it. And another thing, how you going to beat the Freebirds if you can't even ride a motorcycle? Well, the Freebirds may be sick of Von Erichs, but we're going to see one right now as we go back to last week. This is not the whole story. Let's get the other side from Kevin. Well, let me just tell you this. Kevin Von Erich has been through some hardship, and I've had my butt kicked a few times. But every time I see somebody that had anything to do with my father going down, they're going to pay. And I mean pay good. The next time I see them, they're going down. And they roar as Chris Adams comes down the aisle, seconded by Kevin Von Erich. Look 
they're not going to be able to keep Kevin and Gordy apart. Iceman's in the middle of it, holding Kevin. Gordy opens up. Iceman on Adams. Gordy on Kevin. It's absolute madness here. Everyone in this historic wrestling arena is very, very aware of what has transpired over the last three weeks. And they are emotionally involved with what they are saying. Look out, here come more individuals, including Buddy Roberts, the big tall bald angel of death. It's now four on two here. It's getting ugly at this portatorium. They're ringing the bell, not to start about, but just trying to get... I knew Bruce Brody didn't take crap with nobody. He didn't take crap from nobody, bro. He was a legit tough guy. Oh! Yeah. Now, there's, there's, that's why they did him the way they did him. They surprised him and did that. And of course, I got a little payback for that because he's my brother. Well, let's talk about that. Where were you when you heard the news? I was in Japan. I was I flew to Japan, and of course, Hattori came back. And the way the Japanese do things, and everybody knew because I was on tours with Brody, and how he took care of me. He'd take me to his sponsors, and they'd feed me. They'd pay for everything. Everybody, Brody set it up in Japan for me. That I, didn't, I didn't have to spend anything. That's how good he was to me. Him and Stan Hansen. And... Uh, I was there, and I, Hattori comes up to me, he goes, uh, Manisan, Brody gone. I said, yeah, I know, he left right before I got here. No, Manny, Manisan, Manny, Brody gone. So you, you're not understanding the language. I said, what are you trying to tell me, Jesus? What do you mean he's gone? I know he's gone. He left a week before I got here. I know he went back home. Well, my tour originally was Tokyo, uh, Atlanta, Tokyo, Tokyo, Puerto Rico, back in Atlanta. Okay. So when I found out what he was trying to tell me, a bad news, Alan came up and he goes, no, Manny, uh, something happened in Puerto Rico and Brody got killed. I said, what? I said, I know you're lying. He said, no, man, it's not. The news is uh, the murder in the dressing room. And it just, it just like stunned the hell out of me. So right away with this going, they knew how close I was to Brody. The Japanese company told me, you're not going to Puerto Rico or sending you to Atlanta. I said, no, you're not. Oh, yeah, we changed your ticket already. You know, I was, I was pretty upset about them just changing my ticket, you know, taking that part out, getting me another ticket to go back home. And I was pretty upset with that. So that went on, you know, I just, it freaked me out. And I wanted to know what happened. I wanted to know what was there. And I kept digging and finally found out that they owed him 40 grand. Uh, they didn't want to pay him. He wanted his money. And he did the same thing, stormed in there and demanded his money. So they tell me, hey, just come to the show tonight and we'll pay you, in the, you know, we'll pay you at the show. So Brody got there and uh, Tony Adams. Tony Adams was sitting over there and he saw, I guess he watched those guys hide behind the door or something. And that uh, Jose had the towel wrapped around something on his arm. Are you talking about the invader? Yeah, the invader. He had something around, around his arm. And uh, when Brody came through, he took the towel off and cut him across the stomach, his guts came out. And when he fell down to his knees, he grabbed him by the hair and stuck him in the heart and then chopped his hair off. And Tony Atlas never moved. Didn't flinch? Didn't flinch. Didn't flinch. I was highly upset about that. But that's what happened. It bugged me and bugged me. And finally, you know, they, Carlos Colon had called me and said, how come you had come back to Puerto Rico? And, you know, I didn't want to say nothing, but... I got my payback. I never went back. I didn't care, you know. If I could have killed him, I would have killed him. You know, that's the truth. You, know? you don't hurt a brother of mine, like I, like I said. In the teams, you go in together and come out together. 
You don't leave nobody. You know, so it, has, it affects me now. And I love the man. If it weren't for him, I wouldn't have these, some of these shots in Japan and Puerto Rico and other places. I mean, plus he was a brother from West Texas. And we all took it hard. So, yeah, that one touches me. The death of Bruiser Brody in Puerto Rico in 1988 was legendary, especially in how it affected world-class championship wrestling. In mid-July, world-class TV viewers heard the exciting announcement that Bruiser Brody, probably the promotion's most widely popular and enduring personality other than the Von Erich family, was on his way back to the Lone Star State on his way back to WCCW. Sadly, just after this announcement was taped for television, word reached the United States that the intense take-no-prisoners brawler had fallen victim to a locker room stabbing just prior to a card in Puerto Rico on July 17th. As he had to do all too often throughout the tragic history of WCCW, Championship Sports host Mark Lawrence once again appeared in an insert from the KTVT television studios, breaking the shocking news of Brody's death to North Texas wrestling fans. Exactly what participated the killing has never been fully explained, but it has been speculated that who's Brody, who's concerned that a loss would damage his larger-than-life image in Japan led him to infuriate promoters elsewhere by refusing to be pinned cleanly. He had balked at a planned finish for his match against Dan Spivey that evening. Moments after Brody was summoned into the shower area by World Wrestling Council booker Jose Gonzalez, who wrestled as Masked Invader 1, initiated a conversation A loud scream was heard, and Brody's fellow wrestlers found him bleeding profusely from a chest wound. Paramedics who were summoned took nearly a half hour to arrive at the stadium, and after Brody was finally transported to a local hospital, he died of blood loss during surgery. Many U.S. wrestlers refused to perform in Puerto Rico for a number of years as a result of the incident, and it has been known and said that several of those were present when the attack took place were prepared to testify in court against Jose Gonzalez. However, by the time they belatedly received their subpoenas for the trial, Gonzalez had already been acquitted of first-degree murder. For WCCW fans who knew nothing of Brody's backstage reputation in that era of strict kayfabe, the news that this seemingly invincible hell-raising hero had suddenly lost his life was an enormous shock, to say the least. For the struggling world-class promotion, undoubtedly counting heavily on the big man's return to boost ticket sales, it was yet another crippling blow to an organization that by then had become virtually subsumed by tragedy. Oh, uh, Bruiser Brody uh, was a, actually a very good friend of mine, and uh, uh, to everyone's surprise, he was very religious. Uh, I remember uh, meeting him for the first time actually in Tampa, Tampa, Florida, and uh, he would always, uh, uh, before he'd make a town on Sunday, he would make sure he, he made church first. And so he's very religious, and uh, uh, I... Uh, 
I remember uh, before I get into his horrible murder, I remember arresting uh, uh, Brody a few times in Houston. And and I, I thought I was caught up in a tornado. It was probably like wrestling Hannibal on on, on one of Hannibal's uh, angry days. Uh, but uh, Brody Brody <clears throat> pulled me all over the Houston Coliseum and ran me uh, into every door and every wall in that building. And uh, it was really uh, it was really an experience and really a lot of fun. Uh, of course, and then when it came um, uh, my turn uh, to to get some heat on on, on him, he uh, returned the, the honors uh, like a true pro that he that he was, and uh, we just uh, had a great uh, hardcore uh, uh, matches, and I really enjoyed uh, uh, Brody and and the, the murder. I think uh, is probably one of the most unjust things that's ever happened, not only in professional wrestling. But uh, in any uh, uh, avenue of business or uh, sports or anything in the entire world, that uh, this creep got away with murdering Brody in, uh, uh, in, in Puerto Rico and to this day is a free man. Jose and, Gonzalez was his name. Huh? Jose Gonzalez. Yes, Jose Gonzalez. Uh, uh, and uh, got off uh, on a trial and is, is free walking the streets and uh, put a butcher knife uh, 15 inches uh, long through uh, Bruiser Brody and. Uh, uh, we all lost a real true friend, and uh, it's a horrible, horrible thing that's really haunted me all these years of uh, of, uh, uh, of remembering uh, remembering him and uh, and his uh, dedication to the business. That he was so so uh, independent. He really set an example for independent wrestlers like. Ernie Ladd was a very independent wrestler. He went all over the place for different promotions at the same time, and so did Bruiser Brody. So they were two like two rebels that got away with uh, not having to stick to one particular territory uh, and serve one god. They went everywhere all the time and uh, were really, really successful. And I remember seeing an incident with Gorilla Monsoon uh, and Bruiser Brody uh, at, at a Philadelphia taping, and uh, they came very close to uh, to blows, and uh, and that's when Gorilla Monsoon was still in pretty. Uh, he was always big, but he could still move and uh, do some damage. And uh, 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 I was just uh, thinking to myself, watching him in the locker room, <clears throat> that uh, like I said, the elbows went to blows, and that, that would have been a uh, that would have been a fight that would have. Uh, caused an earthquake in uh, South Philly, I'm telling you, and uh, uh, they uh, they uh, settled everything out of uh, court, so to, say, so to speak, and uh, didn't have to uh, go to blows, but uh, it would have been a, a, a hell of a fight uh, that would have been uh, videotaped that would have sold uh, <laughs> tremendously, I'm sure. And I, I would have put my money on Brody, uh, to be honest about it, even though Gorilla Monsoon was an extremely good amateur wrestler. Uh, I, I think Brody had more guts to fight, and uh, uh, so, uh, uh, but uh, I'll never forget uh, the horrific, the horrific uh, murder of, uh, of my good friend uh, Brody, and uh, I just saw just recently some family photos of, of uh, he, he uh, was had a bunch of kids over for Christmas and everything, and real, real wonderful family man, and uh, it's absolutely tragic loss, especially to have the cold-blooded murderer Walking the streets of Puerto Rico, a free man today is is beyond the pale. No justice whatsoever, and uh, it's a tragic loss and uh, something you'll never forget and never want never want to happen again. King Kong Brody has always been something of a loner. 
in the wrestling business, and that's why really I was a bit surprised that you agreed to take part in this tag match today on Wrestling at the Chase. Surprised? You act like everybody else around here surprised about nothing. Let me tell you something. I want to make my point real clear. It's always been the same. King Kong Brody is for one thing and one thing only, and that's himself. I don't need no help from Ken Pantera. I don't need help from Dickie Murdoch. I don't need help from nobody. And if Sam Muchnick wants to keep forcing me into a tag match, I'm going to warn him, too, that sooner or later, something's going to happen that you ain't going to have no control over, Muchnick. And in the end, a lot of your top wrestlers are going to pay for it. I'm telling you and everybody else out there, I like being alone. I don't need friends, and I don't need nobody out there telling me what to do. And the next time I end up in a tag match, and anybody lays one single hand on me, they're going to pay for it. That goes for Patera, Murdoch, or anybody else. I want to be left alone, and I don't want no one else to get close to me at no time. I know just a few weeks ago now, you had complained that you thought some promoters in wrestling were trying to protect certain wrestlers from you, that they were afraid they might be hurt. And you complained quite violently and quite loudly that there was a protection racket going on, really, for people like Devon Eriks, for Bruiser, for Race, for Flair. Let me tell you something. Since I've been coming to St. Louis, I've wrestled every man they brought in here and beat every man. I've wrestled the Funks. I've wrestled the Briscoes. I've wrestled Race. I even beat the Giant at his own game. I beat him right in the middle of the ring in a battle royal. I've beat every man they put me in the ring with. And you know and the people know and I know that there's not one man that comes to St. Louis to wrestle at this time or not one man in the whole country that is big enough, that's got big enough pants that he can come out here and put me on my back. And that includes your world champion. Not my world champion, your world champion. Of course, the only time you have been pinned in St. Louis was by Harley Race. Cut out the nonsense. Let's get it straight right now. When I wrestled Harley Race, the referee caused me to get beat, and everybody in the building saw it, and everybody knows it. I am rightfully the owner of that belt. You call him the world champion, and they can call him the world champion. I'm calling him a whipping board for King Kong Brody because I'm going to whip his butt just like I've whipped everybody else I've set foot in this ring with. And I guess that challenge that you made sometime back that you'll take on any two opponents at one time still goes. Nobody's ever come out here and wrestling at the chase and beat two men as easy as I beat them. I've been wrestling two men my whole life, and it doesn't matter. You don't see me crying. You don't see me down on my knees begging about it. I go in there and take care of business and business for me and me only, and that's the way I want it to stay. King Kong Brody making it very clear he doesn't care for tag matches. He's his own tag team. And who are we to argue? We'll be back with more. Right after Unfortunately for me, in in uh, Puerto Rico, you know, the, the, there was an incident that happened in the dressing room where Bruiser Broder got stabbed to death, which caused me to to leave the, uh, 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 you know, Puerto Rico. Now you were in the dressing room when that happened, or did you see I it? I took him to the I took him to the hospital. I'm the one that me and Carlos Colon, the one that broke up the fight. I was an eyewitness to the uh, uh, to the incident. I went to the police station, reported it to the police, exactly what happened. I remember one thing that what it really, really taught me about about things. 
when the when the ambulance came, Brody laid on the floor for about forty five minutes because it was right at the beginning of the show, and the ambulance couldn't get through the whole crowd of people. So they took an ash that there was a lady and there was an old uh, uh, elderly gentleman, and, and he couldn't lift Brody. You got to realize Brody was a big man. He was over three hundred pounds. You know, six foot eight. You know, six seven, six eight. You know, he was a huge man, and they couldn't lift. They couldn't lift the girdle up so that so that they could get it on the ambulance. So they said, can, can anybody? Can one of you guys help? Every wrestler in that dressing room, including the American wrestler, turned their back. Why did they so do that? I walked over there. I walked over there, and I took a say, uh, 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 I I put him in. So I reached underneath the girl, and I and I go to lift it, and Brody looked looked and looked up at me. He said, "Brother, don't drop me." I said, "Don't worry about don't worry about it, brother." I said, "I curl more than you weigh." So he got a little smile on his face, and I put him on the thing. So then the guy said, "If one of you guys want to go to the hospital with him, uh, you're more than welcome." And I looked around, and everybody put their head down and started lacing up their boots. That's why they didn't hear the guy. So I got on the back of the of the ambulance, and I and I started thinking, "Said Tony, you can't speak Spanish." So there was another wrestler there. He was around my age. He's probably my age now. So I grabbed him and yanked him on the ambulance with me. And he begged me, brother, please, please, por favor, por favor, please, please, brother, don't get me involved in this. Don't get me. I said, all you have to do is just repeat what I say. That's all you got to do. So I get brought into the hospital, and uh, I told him he, I got a friend that got a stabbing. Now, one thing about Puerto Rico that a lot of people don't know, a stabbing in Puerto Rico is like a cold in America. They don't take it serious because, you know, they get stabbed. You know, it, it's a common thing there. You know, you may be in San Juan in a nice area and everything, but once you get outside of San Juan, <laughs> you know, Puerto Ricans believe in stabbing over there. Maybe not here in America, but over there, stabbing is very, very common. So he didn't take it serious. So I grabbed the doctor, put him on my shoulder. He was hollering for security, and I took him to you see You picked Brody. the doctor up? I picked him up on my shoulder and and and, and I grabbed him, you know, because I told him he was stabbing. He opened up the door and showed me a bunch of people standing there with stab room, but not as severe as Brody. Brody had two eight-inch cuts on 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 his belly, you know. It cut his liver. His liver was cut in two, and plus his intestine was cut in two. So I grabbed this doctor up, and he's hollering for security in Spanish. I asked the guy with me. I said, "What do you say?" He said, "He's getting security." But as soon as I set him down, and he saw Brody, and Brody moved his hand. He said, "Are you?" He asked Brody, "Are you all right?" Brody said, "I'm just laying here waiting for somebody to help me." And he lift Brody's hand up, and he saw the injury. He said, "We got to get him in surgery right away." Tony, why do you think it is that the other wrestlers turned their back and didn't pay attention when they needed help? What a lot of people don't realize, <laughs> they all think that we're all friends. When I first started, a gentleman by the name of Klondike Bill. He said that he said that Tony, if you retire from this business and you have one friend, consider yourself lucky. See, wrestlers are not really friends; they are business associates. See, we all independently employed. Even though we work for the WWE, we stand independently employed. Tony Atlas is not a, a person. Tony Atlas is a company. What wrestling is is a bunch of independent. See, the guys on the independence, they don't know that because they've never been in the big league. But once you went in the big league, like, for example, if we was all businesses, John Cena would be McDonald's. Undertaker would be Wendy's. 
uh, Mark Henry uh, would be Burger King. I've never heard See, the Undertaker compared right, to right, Wendy's you, before. You, you, you self-employed. We do individual taxes, and and uh, uh, we uh, we are individual. It's a bunch of small individual companies that comes into that that work together to form one big company. So you guys are independent contractors, is what you're saying. We are independent contractors, exactly. Yeah, we are independent contractors. So so how far your company succeeds depends on how big of a businessman you are. So 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 by helping another company, you'll be hurting your company. So the object of the game, believe it or not, is to hurt the other company. Another huge event for world-class championship wrestling in 1988 was AWA Super Clash 3. With the World Wrestling Federation well on its way to total domination of American pro wrestling in 1988, three regional promotions, Vern Gagne's AWA, the Memphis-based CWA co-owned by Jerry Jarrett and Jerry Lawler, and WCCW decided to cooperate in an attempt to counter the threat posed by Vince McMahon. There had been an earlier attempt at unification by the AWA and various NWA territories, which had formed a loose alliance known as Pro Wrestling USA in the mid-80s. However, the partnership lasted only a few months before the AWA pulled out and took over the group's cable TV spot on ESPN. Now... With, with Gagne's Federation finding itself unable to compete against the WWF and WCCW in, simil, in similar dire in terms of being in financial straits, it was time to give unification another shot. The new effort began with Lawler defeating Kurt Henning for the AWA title in Memphis on May 9th. In 88, Lawler would soon begin making regular appearances in Dallas and become embroiled in a feud with then-WCCW champ Kerry Von Erich, which saw both titles held up multiple times due to controversial decisions. The storyline culminated in what would prove to be the AWA's only pay-per-view event, Super Clash 3, held in Chicago on December 13th, 1988. The loaded supercard featured competitors from all three federations, even POW, P-O-W-W, and former GLOW promoter David McLean managed to get into the act, presenting a nine-woman lingerie battle royal won by the Syrian terrorist. The main event, which is available on Two WWE DVDs, The Greatest Wrestling Stars of the 80s, and The Spectacular Legacy of the AWA, and soon it should be on the WWE Network, it saw Lawler finally declare the unified champion as Kerry's excessive bleeding prompted the referee to stop the bout. Unfortunately, both the live attendance officially announced as 1,672, although even that even that figure is believed to have been inflated, and the pay-per-view buy rate, a minuscule 0.5, were a major disappointment, particularly for WCCW, who continued via whose their continued viability at that point was riding on a strong buy rate. It was crucial at that point. It's also believed that none of the wrestlers who worked at Super Clash were ever paid. In fact, 
Lawler subsequently refused to appear for any further title defenses in the AWA or even return the championship title belt, forcing Gagne's organization to have a new title made and award it to Larry Zbysko. As a result, Kevin and Kerry were forced to sell 60% ownership of World Class to Jerry Jarrett, who merged it with his Memphis promotion to form the USWA. Although the new group enjoyed modest success in Texas for a time, it was the end of the line for the Atkinson family. It was over as being the dominant force in Dallas wrestling. USWA booker Eric Embry would soon begin pushing himself as the group's new lead babyface. Kevin Von Erich, played by multiple concussions, wrestled less and less frequently, and brother Kerry would eventually leave to join McMahon's World Wrestling Federation in what would be his last successful run of his career, known as the Texas Tornado. After the painful losses of his sons, David in February of 84, Mike in 1987, Fritz von Erich made a decision. He decided that that remaining in the business had become too painful. The individuals who bought Fritz out were his sons Kevin and Kerry, as well as longtime associate Ken Mantell, with the latter returning to merge his recently launched Wild West Wrestling promotion into world class. Unfortunately, the once striving promotion had dwindled down to a financial vacuum, and the trio was steadily losing money. By the fall of 1988, the promotion was in serious jeopardy, and at the suggestion of Kerry, longtime Tennessee wrestling promoter Jerry Jarrett stepped in, and that's what brings us to Jerry purchasing it and taking away WCCW. It was for a staggering low sum. Fritz's sons had zero business experience, Jarrett stated. They were not running shows. The syndication arm with Max Andrews was closed, and they owed considerable money to the building and Channel 11. And Kerry called and asked if Jarrett was interested in purchasing World Class. Of course, he said yes. Jarrett almost immediately named wrestling veteran Eric Embry as his booker, and things in World Class quickly picked up. We went to Texas and got the building back, meaning the Sportatorium. Jarrett continued on by claiming they got television back, built the gates at the Sportatorium from zero to sell out in about eight weeks, paid off all the bills from the past, and enjoyed great profits in about six months. Leading into the year 1989, could some semblance of WCCW remain? Unfortunately, too much lost. The heart and soul of WCCW was lost, and it would not last. We lived dangerous, man. Maybe that was it. I mean, not dangerous, maybe kind of reckless. I felt like there had to be some reason for all this. It kept happening. But as far as a curse or anything like that goes, I, I can't swallow that. In the history of wrestling, who would you say is the greatest wrestler of all time? Bill Mercer announced the Von Erich matches during their heyday. That's a really leading question, don't you think? What do you think the answer's going to be there? I would say Fritz Von Erich. He was one of the most exciting, most uh, hated villains in wrestling back in those days. Fritz von Erich, the Iron Claw, and uh, he, uh, he devastated people. The dynasty began with Fritz's role as the German bomber. Wrestlers told me that they hated to wrestle Fritz because he was such a hard-handed person. Oh, did you see Fritz von Erich and the master of the Iron Claw catches Joe Blanchard coming off the rope and is applying the Iron Claw to him right now. People ask you, is this real? Is this not with Fritz? Everything was real. Outside the ring, this evil villain was Jack Atkinson, an all-American good guy who married his college sweetheart, Doris. 
happy to be Matthews. I was, I was, I guess, Jack Atkinson then. I was a father, loved my children, loved my wife, loved my home. Critics claimed there was too much discipline, that the man who's known for the iron claw ruled his family with an iron fist. I love those boys, and uh, they love me. That doesn't mean that when they were out of line, they didn't get their panties torn up, because they did. But his sons maintain Fritz's firm hand, mixed with his soft heart, is what forged them into world champions, who even had their own TV show. So my brothers and I, my dad is a, is a man's man. He's a man that will never go back on his word. When he tells somebody something, that's the way it is. Fritz told his boys they'd be champions when they followed him into the ring. And one by one, they rose to the top. But with the glory came the pressure. And at what seemed to be the height of their careers, the Von Erich boys began following one another into the grave. When we come back, Fritz Von Erich relives how death came calling over and over again. I was just in another world. I couldn't believe it. The fame, the fortune, and the family that has lost all but one son next. Inside the ring, the Von Erichs seemed to be invincible. Young, strong, handsome, and the fans loved them. But what the fans didn't know is that outside the ring, the Atkinsons were wrestling with reality. And one by one, each would take a fall. It just seemed that there was a there was a, a a controlling negative providence that said okay you've had the glory now let's see if you can handle the pain the pain that dropped fritz von erich to the mat with the death of his first son jackie in 1959 came looking for a rematch in 1984. four times in the next 10 years fritz's family would fight death an opponent they could not beat the first to die was his 25 year old son david nicknamed the yellow rose of texas he was mysteriously found dead on the floor of a hotel room while wrestling in Tokyo. The official cause of death was an intestinal disorder. I went to my knees. Just like someone had knocked my knees out from under me. Upon becoming WCCW Booker in late 1988, Eric Embry reached heights of popularity he could have never have imagined. After months of feuding with Gener General Skandar Akbar's Devastation Inc., Embry had to abruptly leave World Class as a result of his defeat by gorgeous Gary Young in a Loser Leaves Town Steel Cage match on February 10th, 1989 in Fort Worth, Texas. Longtime heel manager, now Hall of Famer, Percy Pringle III, sensing the power and control Akbar and his stable were obtaining in World Class, became a babyface for the first time in his illustrious career. Pringle made a public plea for wrestling fans watching across the nation, especially in Texas, watching World Class te television programming to write in and demand that the flamboyant one be reinstated to help fight off Akbar's thugs and save the promotion from complete takeover. The writing campaign was simply called Bring Back Eric. Pringle would later estimate that world-class offices legitimately received 25,000 letters in support of having Embry reinstated. WCCW matchmaker Frank Dusek finally went on television and announced that Embry was reinstated effective immediately, much to the delight of the fans. 
Embry not only captured the hearts of world-class fans during this period, but was also challenging the seemingly untouchable Von Erichs as the area's most beloved wrestler. Over the next several months, Embry would continue to fight off Akbar and his stablemates before finally reclaiming majority ownership that Akbar claimed to retain in August 4th of 1989. Embry and Pringle subsequently tore down the familiar world-class championship wrestling banner from the Sportatorium Section D wall, thus turning the page in which pro wrestling's version of Camelot would become the United States Wrestling Association. The WCCW, World Class Championship Wrestling, would now be known as the United States Wrestling Association, the USWA. The Scarlet Time is gone bananas. This is the week that the future of professional wrestling as we know it will be decided. It's World Class Championship Wrestling, hopefully for the last time. Hi, everybody. This is Mark Durant's ringside. No, Frank Dusick is not here. We've been unable to find him since Kandor Akbar pulled that shenanigan on behalf of the board last week. Hopefully we will if Eric Emery wins this week. Your main event you will see right here later on and we'll know whether it's world-class staying as we know it, controlled by Akbar and Yamamoto, or whether or not it's the USWA with people like Max Andrews in charge, keeping friends like myself, Frank Dusick, Eric Emery, Devon Erickson, and all of the great world-class stars that we know, Jeff Jarrett and Chris Adams, as we've known it. An important week, an exciting week. Everybody's excited, everybody also a little bit apprehensive. We've already got great matches lined up for you. The first one is on its way to the ring now. Stay with us. We'll be back to ring the bell and get it started. And keep your fingers crossed. This would mark the end of one of the greatest organizations in professional wrestling. This organization was known for Texas wrestling. We saw the end of world-class championship wrestling and the legacy they have in professional wrestling will forever be known as one of the greatest companies ever. They introduced music. They were rock stars, the Von Erich family in a sense, creating such rivalries with the Freebirds. WCCW, the Dallas Sportatorium, will forever be embarked, entrenched in the minds of professional wrestling fans and throughout the history of professional wrestling will never ever forget WCCW. Hey, Freebirds, you listen to me and you listen good. You've got everybody in the world believing that this is a war between Texas and Georgia. And I have relatives that died under the Southern flag. And I'll tell you right now, this war is not between Texas and Georgia. It's between decency and filth. Track, 
lot of the, these wrestlers thought, you know, the Von Erichs had it easy because my dad handed the business down to us like he did, and I was the oldest. And, uh, and I knew what was right. I knew how hard I worked. I knew how much my brothers worked. What we, uh, and what we were accomplishing was no fluke. We earned it. We worked real hard. And so when we get taught from uh, wrestlers, smart r remarks in the dressing room before a match, we'll, we'd get on it. That's how we got a reputation. Some part of the youth of this country faces, evidently, uh, insurmountable decisions. We have seen uh, so much of suicide uh, in our own communities, in Plano and other parts of the country. Multiple. It seemed to be a uh, rather like a disease, like an epidemic. For the Von Erichs, in one family, it was the ultimate tragedy. No one would write, even in the Greek period, a tragedy of such magnitude that three young men would take their own lives and another would die of natural causes. And prior to that, the youngest Von Erich, uh, one of the younger Von Erichs, dying tragically in the early days of Fritz Von Erich. And so the, the Von Erich saga came down to one of the most debilitating tragic moments and the curtain came down on the Von Erich dynasty. Proud of all my kids, they were uh, good kids, good athletes. They're all not here anymore, but I think of each and every one of them every day. And if there's a God up there, I thank him for giving me those fine boys. And if I had to do anything over again, Starting all over, the one thing I'd like to do is raise those kids again. Most fun I ever had in my life. You know, when I think back my, about my dad, some of the things that I really remember, I mean, I really miss that old man, and and uh, he was a good dad. There was there were things that happened, you know, that that you know were not right, just like in any family, but there were great things too, really great things, and I, I'm so thankful for these times we had. One thing my dad used to tell me that I always remember, and he was great with these one-liners, just like Vince Lombardi was, he would say, uh, anything worth doing is worth doing right. And that was a good one. But then another one he had was three things that are important for a man to do. Number one, keep his word. Number two, pay your bills. Number three, be on time. And that's just uh, that's just the kind of wisdom that a, a boy gets from his father that, that <clears throat> I may not always do that, but I'll always remember that. And uh, my dad was a, he was a good father. He really was. There is always some good out of uh, tragedy. Kevin Von Erich is still with us. Uh, is happy with his family, lovely wife, children. And he has said that uh, the family was the thing that brought him through. I don't know how we could ever imagine the, the deep, deep depression he must have suffered through these years but he handled it, and that's to his credit. So it has been a tragic uh, end of a great family tradition, but nothing is forever. They gave us several years of great entertainment, love, adoration, excitement, and for that, we could always say, thank you, Fritz, for the boys. Kevin, 
David, Carrie, Mike, Chris. Thank you for being binaries. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. fan of wrestling shoot DVDs, wrestling action figures, wrestling memorabilia, the SNS Radio Network is an affiliate of HighSpots.com. So when you go to the SNS Radio Network site, click on the High Spots banner on the main page, and it takes you directly to High Spots. Now, I'm not saying you need to buy something from HighSpots.com, but if you do, you're helping to support the SNS Radio Network by going through High Spots on the link on the SNS Radio Network page. And every purchase gives a kickback to the SNS Radio Network, helping us keep all the programming here free for you. guys and girls this is ashley richardson and you can join me here on the sns radio network every week for sns sticks and flicks where we cover video gaming news whether it be handhelds mobiles last generation pc or the next gen of the wii u xbox one and playstation 4 did somebody say four no i didn't mean you four anyway there's also movie and entertainment news as well as perhaps the occasional review and i'll give you the lowdown on whether it's the right movie or show for you. Did somebody say four? Look, I didn't mean you four. Just go away, okay? There's also a possibility of other stuff being on the show. It could be sports, it could be politics, it could be news, it could be what I had for lunch. Yeah, I don't know, but it'll be all for you. Nothing? Seriously, nothing? Anyway, all that on SNS Sticks and Flicks here on the SNS Radio Network, and all for free. Did somebody say free? Ah, I'm done. What? Was it something I said? He is arguably the singular face of WCW. From Venice Beach, California, this is his legacy firmly entrenched by his loyalty to the brand. The golden boy of WCW. His persona and subsequent evolution made him a sports entertainment icon. The fans are up as Sting has come out. The face paint. I always like the kids that have the face painted up. The bold colors. Man, has he got a legion of fans, young and old alike. They are rabid 
this man. The energy. There's only one more thing I want to say. Woo! The passion. Oh, baby! The crowning jewel for WCW! He is the man that millions simply call Sting. The Best of Sting, available on Blu-ray and DVD now. In the early 80s, the center of professional wrestling, the center of the wrestling universe was Dallas, Texas. The hub, the power source, so to speak, for this universe came from world-class championship wrestling. Many memories etched in stone. It's entrenched in all of our minds, all of the historians of professional wrestling forever. In some form or another, WCCW made an imprint on you as a professional wrestling fan. I know it did on me. The battleground for these memories for so many years was the Dallas Sportatorium. And as WCCW folded, we also said goodbye to one of the most historic buildings, one of the most iconic venues in professional wrestling history. WCCW started dating back to 1966 in a big silver barn we all know as the Sportatorium. It was known as Big Time Wrestling, and the mighty Fritz von Erich ran the show and wrestled in historic main events. Fans will witness the spoiler, Boris Malenko, the golden terror, but their conquering hero was Fritz von Erich. Him and his fellow sons, Kevin, Kerry, David, and Chris, they carried the spotlight from Fritz, their father, all the way through the 1980s. World Class had become a sports entertainment phenomenon. Unfortunately, over a decade ago, we said goodbye to the Dallas Sportatorium. What some say should have been left as a potential museum for world-class championship wrestling. We said goodbye to the Sportatorium, but not the memories of world-class championship wrestling. We all know the WWF is credited for the rock and wrestling connection, bringing rock and roll music and the entertainment side into professional wrestling, but... You can also have one argument that WCCW was the forerunner to that. They introduced their side of music in professional wrestling as well. Most notably, Michael P.S. Hayes and the fabulous Freebirds blaring their Freebird theme through the Dallas Sportatorium, bringing that flair and bravado to professional wrestling. The golden years of WCCW, you could say, were most notably 1981 through 1985. WCCW was innovative from a television presentation standpoint. World Class attempted to present their product in a different manner. It was effective. And part of what made WCCW so effective was one of its greatest feuds. And that was the Freebirds versus the Von Erichs. Covered extensively throughout this milestone series. Developed and booked by manager and behind-the-scenes booker Gary Hart. The most storied feud was the one between the fabulous Freebirds and the Patriarchs, the Atkinsons, the Von Erich family. Looking back on the history of WCCW, two matches spring to mind and encapsulates what WCCW was all about. This can be our matches of the week. I'll give you two of them this week. The first of which 
and both of them come at different periods in WCCW's history. The first match I would recommend in 1982, December 25th, Christmas Day. We archive this a couple editions ago on the Milestone Series, of course. The NWA World title was on the line between World Heavyweight Champion Nature Boy Ric Flair versus the modern-day warrior Kerry Von Erich at Reunion Arena in Dallas, Texas. A great match. Check it out. This also was important because this led to the booking of a rematch due to Flair retaining via illegal means, as you'll witness, but... The rivalry continued in a steel cage match between Flair and Von Erich, and this really springboarded the Von Erich free bird feud. Michael P.S. Hayes being involved, being selected to be the uh, official for the matchup, then turning his back on the supposed friends of the free bird or the soon-to-be heel free bird, slamming the door on the face of Kerry igniting that feud terry bam bam gordy buddy roberts being involved a part of the free birds and i would like to cover this feud more extensively just to go even further in depth on the impact this played not just the world class but in professional wrestling in general for future feuds to spawn off of and i, I want to cover this in another edition of beyond the bell an extension of the wccw milestones part of our famous feud series as we can discuss this even further bringing in some of our other hosts from the SNS Radio Network to get their impressions of this feud because this was truly one of the classic rivalries not just in world class but in professional wrestling this feud extended as far as running up until 1993 past the existence of WCCW in which the f- official last match between the Freebirds and the Von Erics was on April in, in April of 1993 in Dallas, Texas. My second match of the week. Truly, this was my first pick for my match, but I also want to throw in the nature of Boy Ric Flair and Kerry Von Erich, but also this match involves Kerry and a big point in WCCW's tenure as well. At this point, like I mentioned, WCCW was reeling. Changes needed to take place. Talks of unification were occurring, and this would involve the AWA. So this would be my main match of the week from October 6th, 1988. The AWA and WCCW unification match between Kerry Von Erich, WCCW champion, and AWA world champion, Jerry the King Lawler. They put both of their respective titles on the line in this unification match. This would eventually lead to a takeover resulting in WCCW merging with Jerry Jarrett's Memphis-based CWA, taking on the name of the United States Wrestling Association, the USWA, in which could be known as the final act, the final storyline in the historic history of WCCW. We witnessed a battle for control as the charismatic Eric Embry representing the Tennessee contingent battled WCCW's PY, Chew High, and Devastation Inc. for total control of the promotion. Embry won the war and symbolically tore down the world-class championship wrestling banner in the Dallas Sportatorium, their home, the hub of world-class. This signified the end of of one of the major organizations in professional wrestling history. In truly the last stand for the promotion, 
following a series of legal and personal disputes between Von Erich, Kevin specifically, and Jerry Jarrett, the USWA pulled up stakes and left Dallas. Now, without a television program or many of the top stars that made WCW what it was, Kevin promoted one of the final cards under the world-class championship wrestling name. The Golden Warrior defeated the Angel of Death in the show's main event to win the Texas Heavyweight title in what is Kevin's last match in the legendary Sportatorium. Like I mentioned, the building will be demolished in February of 2003. The Von Erich family will be remembered forever and immortalized, especially to the modern-day fan. On the night before WrestleMania 25, the Von Erich family as a whole were inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame by former ring rival and longtime friend Michael P.S. Hayes. It fit perfectly as the event took place in Texas, and it played a huge emotional impact on all those that were involved that evening. This was really the stamp of modern-day legitimacy for the promotion. All historians and fans of professional wrestling remember WCCW, but to the new era, the network era, we can relive and truly understand how important the Von Erichs and WCCW were to professional wrestling. This really seemed not just an induction for the Von Erich family to be in the Hall of Fame, but really, this was signaling WCCW World Class Championship Wrestling being inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame. God bless Texas! Thank you, Michael Hayes, so much. Thank you all, Texas. Let me tell you, if it looked a lot of fun to do, it was. It was a heck of a lot of fun, and I don't regret a thing. And performing in front of you fine folks, some of the finest memories I ever had in my life. I mean it. I can remember, I can remember starting off wrestling, even here in, in Houston, $35 is what I made for wrestling a night. I can remember that. Well, times got tough. And uh, wrestling has changed, but who knew it would change to, the, to, to something like this. Look at what kind of entertainment we're dealing with today. This is the most, this is the very best of all entertainment. I mean, you cannot get this kind of entertainment anywhere else in the world. And I'm so proud to be a part of it. I am. Michael Hayes is a great talent. And everyone knows he is. He's got a... Let's face it, he can talk. <laughs> he can talk. But Terry Gordy and Buddy Roberts were also some great talent. And I mean, I know I'm getting patted on the back. My brothers, my dad, and I wish they were here to absorb this great moment with me. But, darn, you know. Don't think, don't think I'm alone because, you know, uh, we call each other brother, the wrestlers, and uh, I'll tell you what, when uh, this is just how it is. It, w these guys are like my family. I mean, as I, my last tour of Africa in 93 before I retired, Terry had just died a few months before that. And uh, man, I didn't want to go to Africa, and I, I didn't want to do that show. And I, I, I can't name off all the men, there are so many good ones there, but. 
The guys gave me some space, you know. They treated me like a brother. It looked like I was out of brothers, but no, I wasn't. I've still got a family full. And I'm so proud to be part of that. And uh, the good men that worse. Yeah. Terry Gordy, Michael Hayes were, Terry Gordy, Buddy Roberts were excellent, excellent hands, tough men, good, strong guys. And this might sound funny to say, but when you kick somebody's butt every night, they're <laughs> kicking yours, it makes you close. You know, I don't know, it makes you really close, you know, just to beat the hell out of each other. <laughs> it does. But they were good men, my father and brothers. You know, a, a whole lot happened, and it was not like, uh, a lot of people may say, oh, poor Kev. Oh, man, too bad. Let me tell you this. The fact is, lucky Kev. I got to spend a lot of time with some great guys. And let me tell you this, too. The Von Erichs are not gone. The Von Erichs are not dead and gone. My sons, Marshall and Ross, are in this building tonight. Somewhere I can't see him with these lights. Marshall, Ross, you're out there. We stand up. There's Marshall right there and my son, Ross. The Von Erichs still live. I'm so proud of those boys because Ross does not compromise. He does the right thing no matter what it costs him, and Marshall the same way. I want to say good luck to you in football season this year, son, and everything you do. My daughter, Kristen, you're such an angel. I love you so much, baby, and you've, you've done everything for me. Jill, you are so sweet. I love you, baby. And my sweet wife, Pam, of 31 years, darling, you're what made it all happen. I couldn't have done it without you, baby. I wish I had more time because I owe so many people so much. And, and I, I wish I could say it because if I, if I started naming off names, I would leave off so many guys, it'd just be terrible. It would be unfair. So let me say I worked with the best men in the business, and they made me look good. My brother Dave was a scientist. My brother Kerry, ounce for ounce, was the most powerful man I've ever seen in my life. I just did tricks. Yeah. It was, it was great, but my brothers and my father were and really talented people, and I'm so proud of them. When you look at this, what sports entertainment has become today, it's, there is no show like this at all. I'm so proud to be a part of it. You wait till tomorrow night. You'll see entertainment like there is none other anywhere in the world. Texas, I love you very much. Thank you. Good night. It's time to take this puppy home, fans. Thank you so much for joining us. We will have another edition focusing on WCCW coming up. This is more so focusing on the entertainment side of World Class, as I will break down some of the greatest theme songs we heard coming out of World Class Championship Wrestling. Now, the majority of these themes were actual hit songs during the peak eras and peak time frames of WCCW, but... It's great to relive the songs. We heard blast through the Dallas Sportatorium accompanying our favorite stars to the ring. So we'll throw in the top songs, the top themes of world-class championship wrestling in a very special edition of Beyond the Bell, the music behind WCCW. Next week on Beyond the Bell, 
get ready as we go to war in celebration serving as a companion piece to the network series that just released on the wwe network we present the monday night war part one of this five-part series debuts next week on beyond the bell listen live to all of the shows on the sns radio network at snsradionetwork.com as well as on stitcher and tune in radio all archive shows are found at btbcast.com. Connect socially at Sean Beckerman at btbcast. And my official website for the ring announcing side of things, of course, is ringannouncing.com. The brand new Facebook page is now facebook.com forward slash btbcast. And we're going to take it home with another classic theme from World Class Championship Wrestling. This, you could say, is an original. As I mentioned earlier in the program, Glenn Goza, singer-songwriter who wrote heaven needed a champion in spirit of and for the late great david von eric he sang another song live on wccw programming wrestling on a special edition of world-class championship wrestling this signifies the era of world-class championship wrestling and we'll take it home with this masterpiece one of the originals we heard on world-class programming wrestling by glenn goza as we wrap things up here on the world-class milestones of world-class championship wrestling thank you so much fans for joining me on this ride as we covered one of the greatest organizations ever in professional wrestling world-class championship wrestling until next week fans when we rewind and relive all things retro in wrestling your world-class ring announcer and party host, Sean Beckerman, signing off. Till next week, stay old school, my friends. Thank you. Thank you. Well, the boss called me up and said, come in to work. I just hung up on that slave-driving jerk. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. You think I'd rather be sweating on the dock or watching somebody use a hammer lock? I'm going to wrestle. Going to wrestle. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. I love to watch the missing link bang his head on a corner post. And the romper, bumper, butt butt delivered by the eyes, man. The Freebirds, Roberts, Hayes, and Gordy, but what I like the most. Is Kerry delivering the iron call as only the father it's can? Boss called again, said it's time and a half. You'll come in tonight, and I just had to laugh. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Well, my girlfriend called a friend. She could be a model for Fredericks of Hollywood, but she was hassled. Really hassled. Said I could come over early and stay real late, but I told her, honey, if we have a day, we're going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. There's Kevin Von Eric when he's really high in flight. Silver-haired Ric Flair when he's out there strutting. Andre the Giant must be seven foot nine. Why would
Beyond the Bell presents the Monday Night War, the rivalry between WWF Monday Night Raw and WCW Monday Nitro. This five-part series takes you through the history of the Monday Night War from the inaugural battle to the historic simulcast. This edition covers it all. Relive the greatest moments and superstars of the war. So buckle up and prepare for war on Beyond the Bell as we present the Monday Night War exclusively on the SNS Radio Network and BTBcast.com. Every week was a battle. Battle. 